Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Coffee with a Shot of Cynicism, the Gilmore Girls podcast. My name is Eleni. And I'm Jeffrey. And today we're going to be discussing episode nine in season four, Ted Koppel's Big Night Out. But before we do that, we once again have to talk about another podcast. Mm-hmm. And so last week we talked about Scott Patterson announcing that he was going to be um, starting a Gilmore Girls podcast. Yes. And the episode dropped on Monday, and we were both intending to listen to it, but then I listened to it, and I text Jeffrey, and I said, don't bother, fuck off. <laughs> I mean, that's not entirely true. Actually, I would argue that I was never going to listen to it. I was just going to listen to what you had to say and piggyback off of that. <laughs> okay, well, my impression was that you were going to listen to it, too. Um, seen, you know what? I probably was in the moment when I told you that, and then I'm like, yeah, life goes on. Bye-bye. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I don't blame you. Um, so the first guest on the podcast that Scott Patterson had on was, uh, do you want me to pronounce it how he pronounces it? Please. Yannick Truesdale. Is he, does he have that kind of accent? No, but like, it it really sounded like Yannick. Yeah. Like you were saying <laughs> yawn, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just, okay, so overall thoughts on the podcast. Overall, it was very messy. Mm-hmm. They were, like, jumping from thing to thing. There was no, they, like, introduce a producer who's asking Scott questions. And then all of a sudden, there's, like, two other young ladies there just, like, talking about favorite quotes and what their favorite scene was, and what they thought of Luke, and then praising him because young Scott Patterson was really cute and hot. Mm. Which felt really weird to me, but whatever, fine. But they, like, didn't introduce these women, so I'm like, hold on, how many women are there? What's happening? What's going on? Yeah. So that, to me, was very weird, but fine. Maybe they're, they're still working out the kinks. It's not a big deal. Um, he opened right away with the interview with Yannick. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like Yannick had no idea what they were doing. Like, I, it seemed as if Scott was just like, hey, we're doing a podcast. Can you come on? We'll just talk. Like, didn't give them any notes about what they're going to talk about. Maybe yeah. he wanted it to feel genuine. I don't know. But you can tell that Yannick was super confused. <laughs> But, like, I'm sorry, when you're kind of, even if you're going to just invite someone onto your podcast, like we have, like, you, you have to kind of give them at least a bit of what to expect, you know, not just like, hey, come on, we'll chat. Yeah, so I think, okay, so mm, the difference between that is, like, this is the first episode, so maybe, again, like, they're still working out the kinks, and they're still trying to see what the format is going to be and whatnot. I know when we've invited people on the podcast um, in the past, we've always said, like, hey, here's what we want to talk to you about. We'll also talk about Gilmore Girls in general and wherever the conversation takes us. But feel free to listen to the format of our other podcasts and see a little bit our style, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think they had that luxury, again, because it's the first episode. But I think you should at least guide your guests a little bit. Yes, agreed. Um, but, you know, again, they, that could just be them working out the kinks, whatever. Um it was honestly a little odd every time they talked about their old castmates. You were so, telling me that. Sorry? You were telling me that. I was like, it yeah, sounds about it's right. Like, so you get the impression that Scott really doesn't keep in touch with anyone. Surprise, um, surprise. <laughs> yeah, because uh, yeah, Nick is in Australia right now filming a show with Melissa McCarthy. Right. 
And um, he's like, oh, Scott's like, oh, yeah, how is Melissa? Send her my love. And then uh, the topic of Kelly Bishop came up and he was like, oh, yeah, Kelly, how's she doing? Yeah, send her my love. And it's like, who do you talk to? Yeah. <laughs> you know? So I don't know. I don't know if it was just the fact that he's not in the biz anymore. So maybe he doesn't keep in touch or if they're just I don't think there was a falling out or whatever. But I think you kind of move on. Mm-hmm. Everyone else has kind of moved on, like we've talked about before, and it doesn't seem like he has. Um, and then it's something that really struck me. It was what I tweeted was that I'm four minutes, 26 seconds into this podcast and I have thoughts. Thoughts. Um, and the reason for that tweet was because right away they start talking about, um, you know, the show and like it's lasting impact and those, the snippets are cute, but um at one point at that four minute, 26, four minute, 26 second mark, Scott is talking to Yannick about um, why he decided to start the podcast. Mm-hmm. And he says, really, I want to do this for the fans. They're getting hung out to dry. We should be doing more episodes. And Inter- I'm like, Interesting. And Yannick kind of didn't really say anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to know. <laughs> Your fans got seven seasons, seven full seasons. They got essentially a six-hour miniseries. Like, how are they hung out to dry? Yeah. I don't get it. Like, I don't get where his logic is coming from. Is it because he didn't like how the show ended or how season seven went? Like, yeah, we all get that. We've all been there. We've all went through the agony of season seven. You know what I mean? But we understand what the circumstances were also. Mm -hmm. Um. You know, and then you got to come back five years ago and do this this mini series essentially. And okay, maybe you didn't like how it ended on a cliffhanger, but that's not your choice, right? Yeah. It's not your show. So I'm just trying to understand where he's coming from because it's not the first time he's made a comment like this that the mm-hmm. fans deserve better and they deserve more and na na na. It's like how many more times do we have to go through this? I'm just going to reiterate what I said last week. I did not listen to his podcast. Quite frankly, I was never, never interested um, in it. And I even I even asked myself, I'm like, is it because I just don't care, what, care about the show enough to listen to a podcast about it? And that's hypocritical because we have our own Gilmore Girls podcast. Yeah. And I thought, no, that's not it. Because if, let's say, Melissa McCarthy and Yannick decided to do a podcast, we're like, I'd be all over that. Like, and I'd be all, all over that shit. And I'd be all over it if, God forbid, like... Lauren Graham and I don't know Kiko Jenna decided to do a podcast like literally anybody else in the cast if they decided we're gonna do a Gilmore Girls podcast for fun I'd be like that sounds so cool Scott Patterson's do it I'm like no you're just clinging to a shred of relevancy and mm-mm. but no. that's what I wanted to say I think I know why that is because throughout the episode like after so Yannick the Yannick portion was just like I think 15 maybe 20 minutes mm-hmm and then, by the way, a really long episode. It was an hour and 20 minutes long. Um, <laughs> We're one to talk, aren't we? No, but I mean, hold on. What I mean by that is that it was a long episode, but they're not actually talking about the episode. That's why it felt so long. Okay. Because he gives tidbits about, like, how he got the audition and how they negotiated his contract and blah, blah, blah. And the reason I text you that night and said that it was useless is not that I meant that the podcast was useless. It's just that all of these tidbits that he was giving us in the podcast – he said them in interviews 25 times. Yep. 
So it's not <laughs> like you're learning anything new because he's already spilled all these beans. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think the only thing that I learned and that I'm very surprised at and that I'm actually going to send a tweet out right now is um, <laughs> I learned that he used to teach acting classes. Interesting. Um, And that according to him, he was very good at it. Uh-huh. And that he actually taught a one-on-one class with RuPaul. What? Like he taught RuPaul how to act. Bullshit. <laughs> so now I'm going to tweet at Mama Ru. Oh, boy. Because I need confirmation. Like, I mean, it's possible, but at the it's same time... It's possible, but I'm just like, really? But I don't... Be- I don't... I wouldn't... I wouldn't believe it in the, in the phrase... In phrasing it as Scott Patterson taught RuPaul how to act. I mean, first of all, RuPaul is not an amazing, uh, you know... Not act- an amazing actor or singer, let's be honest. No. Uh, <laughs> Mama Ru needs needs the auto-tune. But at the same time... But I don't the confidence think- is off the hook. <laughs> the confidence, yes. The performance ability is there. I just don't think... Uh, okay, but, like, why would you why would you boast or brag about teaching RuPaul how to act? Like, RuPaul is not known for being an actor. <laughs> well, he was very good at it. The only thing I can think of of why it would be plausible is because Scott has that mediocre white man confidence. Mm-hmm. And RuPaul's confidence is amazing, too. Yeah. So I think... Maybe if you taught him anything, it was how to be confident like a mediocre white man. Yeah, maybe. I could see that. Like, strut it, mama. No, I'm kidding. But, <laughs> you know. Um, and then the last thing that really bugged me was... Um, so, he had Macy Gray on. And I was like, why? What does that have to do with Gilmore Girls? Well, because they play the song twice in the first episode. Oh, dear. Remember we also talked about in the beginning when we first started the podcast how um, the creators didn't know if this was going to be like a music show? Yeah. Like if they were going to infuse actual soundtrack into it or if they were going to make their own and they went the route of the La La La's. Yeah. Um, so first episode, the most notable song was I Try by Macy Gray. Mm-hmm. And so I guess he had her on, you know, to talk to her about that. But the problem was that so he had Yannick on for 15, 20 minutes. Then he spoke with his producers and the two other ladies, who I don't know who they are, for another 50 minutes. 50, five, zero? Five, zero. Jesus Christ. Oh <laughs> and then within that 50 minutes, he's like, oh, we're also going to have Macy Gray on later on. And Macy Gray, she has such an amazing story. And then proceeds to talk about Macy Gray's story. About how she was signed and then she got dropped, but she did some tours and this is who she's worked with, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, instead of saying all that, can you save it for, like, the interview that you're doing? Like, don't mansplain Macy Gray to us, please. Like, or to herself, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so then she comes on and I'm like, how long is this quasi-interview going to be? Because my my Spotify is telling me that there's only seven minutes left. <laughs> and I'm like, how long did he have Macy Gray? Literally had her on for five minutes. I feel like Mace, I mean, no, no offense to Yannick, but I feel like he could have split it between Yannick and her and not had 50 minutes dedicated to the producer and two random women. Yeah, so I don't know. I think, again, that is a lot of like things that they're going to have to trial and error see with themselves if that's the format that they want to keep. But I found that very irritating. 
And uh, like, like, and the thing is, like, unfortunately, I jo- <laughs> not not unfortunately, but like, <laughs> um, it's not a secret at this point. Like, I don't care enough for him to invest in where your podcast is gonna go. Like, it's fine that you're still figuring out your 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 style. You're still finding your groove. Like, we had that period in our first season. I'm sure many of you know. It's just yeah. like. And I'm grateful that if any of you who have listened from the very beginning are still here, thank you for that. But, like, I don't enjoy Scott Patterson enough to invest in that same way. You know what I mean? Like, listen every week. Exactly. Yeah. I think maybe if he has some interesting guests and maybe if we – and maybe if he's willing to share stuff that he hasn't already shared 47 times. That and also, like, maybe tone it down – like, would have to tone down a lot of the smarmy, mediocre, white man nonsense. It was a lot of – um, you know, one of our when I, when I posted the the question thing and I said, "What did you guys think?" I genuinely want to know what people think, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and somebody was somebody uh, uh sorry messaged us and said, "I was super." She goes, "I was walking my dog while I was listening, and at one point, um, the conversation shifts, and Scott's like, Scott tells Yannick, well, what did you think of Luke? You know, what did you think of my character?'" And I'm like, well, is this a podcast about Gilmore Girls or like you? Because yeah, the young lady's talking about how cute you were. <laughs> you talked about your audition process that you've already talked about. You're asking Yannick about what he thought of Luke. Like, you know, I don't know. It was just a little creepy. And seems, it seems like he's doing it for an ego boost. Yeah, basically. And, um, you know, there was also some a couple of things where he's like, I went and I watched the pilot and it was just so hilarious. I've never seen the pilot. And um, I find that very, again, I'm going to say it again. I said it last week, but I find it very hard to believe that you've never seen the pilot. It was your first big gig. You're telling me you never watched the pilot. Yeah, that's hard to believe. A little. Something that you've been clinging to for 20 years. You're telling me you've never watched it? Get out of here. Especially, exactly. That's that's an important point to make. Like, for you who is clinging very hard to (laughs) Gilmore Girls and the supposed fame it's brought you, uh, wouldn't you then know the show a little better? I mean, like, a little? Yeah. (laughs) And then he also talked about, this is the last thing I'll say before I just uh, say some, like, little comments that we got from the the question that we posted. At one point, his producer asked him, you know, you must get recognized all the time. Um, Okay, so I have two things to say about that. One, he's 62, and the show ended 20 years ago. The show and the show. Um, well, so- I mean, a year in the started 20 years ago and a year in the life aired five years ago. I get that. But like he's 62 years old and like people don't really give a shit about Gilmore Girls anymore. You think he's still getting recognized all the time? Unless, no, unless you're getting recognized by Gilmore Girls diehards. Like- but that's the thing. I, I believe that he still gets recognized, but I don't believe he was saying about how every day he goes to the to rent a bike at the beach and the people at the bike rental place are like, by the way, we love the show. Oh, As if it's still on today, you know. Like and, I mean, I know our our podcast is, is a testament to how much Gilmore Girls is still uh, so widely beloved. But absolutely. Um, unless unless you are a Gilmore Girls diehard, yes, I'm sure he gets recognized occasionally, but I don't think it's an everyday yeah. occurrence. Yeah, exactly. I don't think, especially since he hasn't been in anything since then. So nothing, I don't yeah, think people are. Notable. Yeah, so I don't think people are, like, stopping him on the street every day. And then he talked about how uh, when the show, like, first started, at one point this guy had gotten into a car accident and nobody was stopping to help him. So he jumped in to help this guy. 
And then, yeah, I was like, where's the story going? <laughs> and then so he jumped in to help this guy. And then another guy was rolling by in his car and said, attaboy, Luke. Oh, jeez. What is the point of this story? So, yeah, there was just that. I want to share with you some comments that we got. Um, it was pretty split down the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, some people said they loved it. Other people did not. Um, so someone said, I thought Yannick was super cute, but I got vibes that Scott doesn't have contact with cast members. Yeah. So he was like, yeah, tell Melissa I said hi. Or, oh, how is Kelly doing? Because he doesn't talk to them, which is fine. It's normal not to keep in touch with your old coworkers, I guess. But they really didn't talk about the episode much, which is true. They really did not talk about the episode. <laughs> Somebody else wrote, he's ruining Luke for me. Yes. Yes, he I thought, is. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. Um... <laughs> somebody else wrote I can't tell if Scott Patterson is just really bad at delivering sarcasm or if he's serious I think he's just really bad at delivering sarcasm yeah somebody else said I loved it and I'm waiting for Milo to be in it which is a possibility I guess because they still keep in touch I think uh-huh um oh somebody else wrote couldn't compare to you guys <laughs> <laughs> thank you <laughs> and uh, I love how Yannick had no idea where they were actually where they were going, what they were doing at the beginning of the episode, which is true, yeah. It didn't really have much direction in the beginning. Um, and then this one is absolutely loved it. Bed, best podcast ever, done okay. especially by our favorite Scott. I mean, best podcast ever. You need to broaden your horizons. <laughs> Yay, more Gilmore Girls content, but Scott gives me weird vibes, and I cannot connect Luke to him. <laughs> Thank you, exactly. So it seems to be pretty split. If you like it, we're not trying to ruin it for you. Those were just our thoughts. If you like it, go forth, right? Um, I'm not not judging you. Everyone's allowed to like what they like. And that's all we will say about that. I will add one last thing. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do like how um, that one person said that he was smarmy and just not, like, just kind of not in tune with what his audience kind of was expecting maybe i don't know i think i just i just enjoy that there are some people who acknowledge that a like he's ridding luke for me like that kind of thing i like people who are voicing that opinion because i find that he does have a bit of a very specific fan base of like middle-aged women shall we say who like no no fans there's disrespect intended but like middle-aged women who are just devoted to him and it's kind of it's just a little strange and they don't really see that he's or don't believe or see that he's smarmy and i'm like yeah there's a generational gap there maybe so i don't know but anybody who acknowledges that he's that he gives them smarmy vibes yes i agree and thank you for voicing that opinion because i find it's lost sometimes in his fan base <laughs> yeah it's definitely um i think when i say it's a generational thing i think yeah like you said i think the older fans don't see it as much because they're very much of the generation of like, all right, whatever. He's just being flirty when he says like, oh, I love Lauren, whatever. Whereas I think our generation and younger generations are, because we are millennials, (laughs) I think um, we've been, I don't know if trained is the right word, but I think we're much more aware when things come off a little creepy. Yeah. And, you know, like how how sometimes some men give off vibes that even if they're not meant to be creepy can come off as creepy. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's definitely, I agree with you. There's definitely a lack of self-awareness on his part uh, that I, you know, that I think has always been, (laughs) let's be honest, but uh, yeah, that's it. 
And before we move on, I would like to share the audio of the video that I tweeted in response to how I feel about Scott Patterson starting a podcast. I don't care. Okay. I don't. I, I really don't give a fuck. I really don't. Exactly. That's how I, I feel. Care. Good job. <laughs> Just don't don't care. Like cool. I said, I think if it'd be anybody else but him, I'd be like, oh, that's cool. But it's him. No, thanks. Yeah, and I <laughs> think like, that also, yeah, that also speaks to the fact that he's just been talking about it for 20 years, right? Yeah, like, so it's no longer interesting to us what he has to say. But if it was Lauren, it would be interesting or Melissa, you know? Yeah, exactly. He's, he's just like been stuck on it for so long, whereas other people have moved on. So if they decided, oh, I'm going to. I don't know, write a book, or like Lorna Graham already wrote books, but like, you know, if they decided to all of a sudden share a couple of tidbits that we didn't already know, like, that would be interesting, and I would give my attention to that, but unfortunately, no. No. Just no. No. (laughs) All right, let's talk about the episode. Moving on. Moving on. Um, so do you remember Jessica Simpson and Nick Lachey when they were coupled goals? I was going to say, are we going to talk about the the uh, Jessica Simpson shade in the opening scene? Yeah. So I uh-huh. remember, by the way, just because we're talking about it, I remember watching that Jessica Simpson thing live. Really? <laughs> yeah. Because I'm old. Um, I think we don't talk about this enough, but the media did Jessica Simpson so dirty. Oh, I'm so glad you agree. Because <laughs> sometimes I just, there's people who think like, yeah, okay, but she's still, like, she's still a ditz. I'm like, yeah, she's still a ditz. And she admits now that she is a ditz. But that doesn't mean she was deserving of, you know, disrespect or anything. I mean, I don't care how ditzy you are. You're not, I don't know. There's there's some great articles out there that I've read recently in the aftermath of everything that's happened to Britney Spears. Um, and, you know, this whole conversation about how we treat women and how the media treats women. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been articles popping up about how the media has treated Jessica Simpson and the media yeah. has treated Taylor Swift and Lindsay Lohan and Britney. Sp- so, like, I really encourage you to go out and find these articles. They're not hard to find. And if you ha- and if you haven't already, you should definitely read Jessica Simpson's memoir from last year called Open Book. I highly recommend. I wouldn't go that far, but you know. <laughs> For the listeners, um, I know you don't. I know you're not very into celebrity memoirs, but the listeners. Yeah, I, might yeah, be. That's just, that that was not shade of Jessica Simpson. I'm just <laughs> not into, at least not celebrities that are still alive and in their 30s. You know what I mean? I'm like, <laughs> just I'm like, live a little, and then I'll read it. Um, but yeah, I think. So that whole thing of how they made her out to be so stupid with the tuna fish of the chicken of the sea and the buffalo wings, like, and constantly talking about her virginity. Honestly, she talked a lot about the the virginity concept in her in her book. And yeah. it was just the, the part that was creepiest to me was that, like, um, Nick, what's his name, would go on talk shows and they would talk to him about it. I'm like, that's just, you know. Yeah. Yeah, like it's, one, like it's, one, it's one thing to like it's one thing to like publicly declare like to publicly discuss your virginity, your virginity yourself or whatever. That's one thing. Yeah. But it's quite another to then bring it up with your significant other when you're not even present. That's a little. Yeah. And let's be honest, the same thing happened with Justin Timberlake and Britney Spears. Oh boy. And and and, and a whole other like they were the blueprint for what happened to Nick and Jessica. Like it was just ugh, all around. Yeah. But I mean, the whole concept of virginity being this like hot commodity, mm-hmm. um, you know, when a couple of years later, when the Jonas Brothers came on the scene and wore purity rings, nobody gave a fuck, right? Right. 
But Jessica Simpson says she's saving herself for marriage and all of a sudden, but then wears a crop top and all of a sudden we're like, oh my God, what a horror. Yeah, it's like it, it opens up a lot of different discussions surrounding obviously rape culture and like how, uh, what, how is the fact that you wear a crop top linked to me wanting to stay a virgin? Like that, like if, if you make like the cultural link that we make is on us, not her, you know? No, definitely. And I think we, we, and I say we, by the way, because I totally bought into all this stuff when Much Music was still a thing and they used to play um, Jessica <laughs> Nick Lachey's show. What was it called, by the way? Um, oh, crap. Ma- I Ma- love it. Mary, I don't know what the fuck it was called. But... Some, yeah, some, that's something. I'll, I'll figure it out and get back to you. <laughs> <laughs> something with Nick and Jessica, isn't it? Or... Yeah, like married with, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, it's going to bug me, but whatever. Um, But if you want to read more about... um how virginity, how obsessed we are with young women's virginities. I highly recommend a book called The Purity Myth. Ah, yes. Um, by Jessica Valenti, who mm-hmm. is, you know, a premier feminist voice for some reason. Um, <laughs> and I say for some reason because she's not very intersectional. That's the only reason I say that. But yeah, the no, book, the book is very good. Um, the Purity Myth by Jessica Valenti. It's very, very good. Um, and, you know... It really talks about how, like, just just think about it. Why are we so obsessed with young women's virginities? Yeah. Why? But anyways, we're moving on. Um, so the media did Jessica Simpson dirty. That's all I'll say about that. The show was called Newlyweds, Nick and Jessica. There aired, we go. I knew it was something like that. Married, newlyweds, love, whatever. <laughs> okay. aired, aired between 2003 and 2005. Yeah. And that whole show, too, if you see the background of that show, her father really pushed her to do that show mm-hmm. um, and kind of, like, to bolster her good girl image. Yeah. Like, girl next door, good girl image. But, yeah. And so I, I, I also really don't like how Nick Lachey is now painted as a good guy. I mean, again, if you read, if you read her book, which the rest of you should, Alani's not going to, but the rest of you should, she does, she discusses a lot about how he was portrayed versus how she was and how she was demonized and how it all kind of felt on her. Um, but she ended up, you know, coming out on top. Because where's, yeah, where's, where's Nick Lachey today? I'm looking it up now. He's doing a couple of things, but I don't care. <laughs> Basically. Anyways. Um, so we also meet Brennan. Remember Brennan? Froggy. There were a lot of frogs, man. (laughs) That makes me laugh every time, especially how Lorelai just loses it. She's like. (laughs) I have to say, so out of all the like characters in season four that they've tried to introduce and have only stayed for either a couple of episodes or one episode, Mm -hmm. this is by far my favorite. I thought it was acted so well, like that dumb guy. Like, what did you want? You wanted a something, right? <laughs> or, like, there have been a lot of frogs. Like, I just thought it was so brilliant. Yeah, like, that kind of skater, stoner guy. Yeah, and I think, like, him forgetting uh, forgetting her order or when Luke is telling him, you know, that's decaf, go get the one with the black top, and then he just disappears. <laughs> I thought the whole thing was, like, comedic genius. Or how he, he, he can't distinguish bagels and donuts. Yeah. Brennan, we've had this conversation before. <laughs> yeah, I just thought it was a really nice touch. So there's not much going on in the town. Mm-hmm. But, like, every time, in this episode at least, every time they went back to the town, even though there wasn't much going on, it was still great to watch. Yeah. Um, And even though it was filler, right, it was still good filler. 
This is like if we're gonna if we're talking filler, this is probably like the one of the better filler episodes. Absolutely, because I think the I don't know who the actor is, but he did great things. But I, I mean, I wouldn't even classify this necessarily as a filler episode, but like in terms of no, <laughs> Brennan, no, his scenes that were filler scenes in the yeah, job, Brenner, right? Brenner, Brenner, Brennan Brenner. being filler scenes, like they were super super well done. Um, but we should also mention how uh, the actor who played Froggy was uh, his name is not Froggy. <laughs> I said the actor who played Froggy. That's that's what Lorelai calls him. Uh, whatever. <laughs> so the, um, the actor was also supposedly uh, in the Jess Mariano spinoff that didn't get picked up based on that clip that I unearthed last year. Well, supposedly he was in the spinoff. Well, we don't know. We, well, I'm saying we don't know how long. Like we don't know how long he would have been around in it, but he was in that one existing clip. So yeah, would have yeah. been, been an interesting turn of events. Yeah, but. In terms of the scenes that are going on in the town, this was hilarious, to say the least. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, the, the episode really focuses on the Gilmores. Yes. And I will say it's a very well-rounded episode with the focus being on all of the Gilmores as yeah. opposed to just Lorelai and Rory. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the first time we're getting a glimpse in the cracks like, to the cracks in Emily and Richard's marriage. Yeah. Um, because of Penelin Lott. First appearance of Penelin Lott. First and last appearance. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, Penelin Lott is Richard's high school, no, not high school, excuse me, college sweetheart. Yeah. And they see her at the Harvard-Yale game. What do they do at the Harvard-Yale game, Jeffrey? Um, it's just kind of some, like, bougie social event for them. We don't actually see any football. <laughs> yeah, but what do they usually do at Harvard? <laughs> oh, well, they, what, they see her once a year. They say hello. They ask, if, if Steven's not there, they ask about Steven, and then we say we'll call, and we never do. Exactly. <laughs> Which is how I would like all my social interactions to go. Seriously, like, how's Steven? Oh, he's great. Okay, great, I'll call you. Never going to call you. Bye-bye. I'll call you, and we both know you're never going to call me. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, but, um, so I want to ask you, yes. what did you think of Lorelai's comments to Penelin Lott? Oh, in terms of, you're my almost mommy. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, I thought, that, that line is, is great. I love, uh, I, I love how Lorelai can just spin anything into her own sense of humor. Mm-hmm. But, um... I don't know. I think with a I think with a different crowd it would have gone over better. I think yeah. she, like she, she I think maybe if uh if you know god forbid she had run into just Richard and Penelin like you know in a, in a, another universe then maybe it would have gone over better but exactly. I don't know. I think even she was kind of uncomfortable with being called being referred to as someone's almost mommy. <laughs> Yeah, so I think, same thing, I completely agree with you. I think she really has to know her audience. And I was like, at this point, do you really not know that your mother's not going to like that? Come on. Yeah, I know. Or are you just, like, that drunk from the fun flask? But it still doesn't justify how, you know, Emily reacts later. No, absolutely not. And I want to get to the reaction a little bit later. I don't think it justifies it at all. But at the same time, you know when people talk about knowing your audience and, like, trying not to push people's buttons? Mm -hmm. That's clearly not (laughs) Lorelai. No. If I want to make a joke, she's going to make the fucking joke and fuck you, you know? And I do agree with you. Maybe if it was just Penelin and her father and she had said that, Richard would have been like, oh, my God, whatever. But he wouldn't have 
you know, like admonished her the way Emily did. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, Lorelai, come on, know your know your mother. <laughs> like, let's be honest. <laughs> you know. Especially since earlier she was so committed to not rocking the boat with Emily by going out with with Jason, so she decided against that. Yeah. And it's just like there's certain there's certain uh, instances where it's clear why um, Emily uh, not Emily why Lorelai keeps her parents at arm's length, and I feel like this this is a this episode's a good reminder of why things go to shit with her parents sometimes. Yeah. So I wrote the same thing. I think. There are some episodes where, you know, you're kind of scratching your head and you're like, why don't they have a good relationship? Everything's going great, you know? Mm -hmm. And I do think that this episode really serves to show the audience how in this family, Mm -hmm. everyone could be doing everything right. Like, you know, Lorelai could be making her snarky comments, but, you know, they're at the Harvard-Yale game and Richard's having fun and it's okay. Because her and her mother were actually really getting along, right, before that? Right drinking from the fun flask and, you know, talking about Dan and, you know, the sweater, the Harvard colors, whatever. It was actually a really good time. I thought it was a really sweet moment for all that, you know? Yeah. Um, and then you're like, why can't they just get along? And then you see why. <laughs> because yeah. they're just, they're both very stubborn and they're both very, um, well, at least in this episode, Emily was fucking ridiculous to yell at her like that, you know? Um, I do like, though, how Lorelai was telling her, you know, why are you mad at me? You're being mad at the wrong person, kind of, you know? I mean, I was going to argue that they're both kind of immature in their own ways. Oh, oh, Jeffrey. Of course. (laughs) Of course. Because what's Lorelai's solution to being upset with her mother? You know what? I'm going to get back at you. I'm going to date that guy that you hate, but in secret. (laughs) (laughs) Like, come on. You're being ridiculous. But yeah. I think, but I do want to talk about Emily getting mad at Lorelai mm-hmm. because I think it's really important to note <laughs> that the reason Emily gets so mad at Lorelai is because she cannot get mad at Richard. Yes. Because it's not appropriate for her in her twisted little mind to get mad at her husband. Mm-hmm. And the most she can do is say, like, go for a walk. We'll talk about this later. Yeah. And it's like, she can't get mad at her husband. Her husband's her provider. Her husband's her... Th- like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's so much easier to get mad at Lorelai because that's just their shtick. They're always you, mad at each other. Do you think that it would have been different if they had had the argument at home? Like, do you think yeah. you would have yelled at him at home, obviously, not in public at this, you know, apparently very highly regarded social event, not a, you know, not a football yeah. game. It's, not a, it's a, a social game. event. Not a tailgate, not a tailgate at all. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but I think it definitely would have gone over um, a different way if they were at home, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe she could have felt she could express herself more, um, you know, say the things she really wanted to say. At this point, Richard's just brought over the whiff and poofs. Yeah. And she's, like, trying to keep her cool. Kind of, but it still comes out that she's really mad, but she's still very Emily Gilmore. So she's like, I got to keep my cool in this public scenario. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's just, it's, I think it's a very hard, I think it's harder for Emily in, let's call it society, even though it's a tailgate. (laughs) It's harder for Emily to get mad at her husband 
in public in front of his colleagues because don't forget you know like asher fleming is there which we will talk about um you know he's just brought over the whiff and poofs he knows people he's talking to dan you know what i mean like mm-hmm. in her mind she's like i can't get mad at my husband right here because he's very much in his element but interesting how she brought it up when the when like that bunch of guys that group of guys was just standing there waiting for drinks and then more like what a typical <laughs> man thing to do and Lorelai's like, run. <laughs> yeah, run. But what a typical man thing to do. Like, hey, guys, follow me. My wife's going to make you bloody marry. <laughs> like, Not even, yeah, like such a man. Most like, like a man who's a little boy. Like, come home, come with, come, come to my house. My mom will make us lunch. Like, yeah, exactly. But anyways, um, but I think that's actually what contributed to her anger in that moment. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, we don't need celery sticks. We can eat them without the celery sticks. No, like, you can't. Fuck you. Why are you having lunch with Helen Lott there? Yeah, but uh, yeah, but, but that's what it was. I think at that point she was like, motherfucker, you don't tell me how to make my bloody marys and why the fuck does Helen Lott know about our kids? You know? <laughs> I think in that moment she was just like, he's going to tell me what to do? Why the fuck are you having lunch with her? You know? <laughs> I think at that point she was just, like, awful. It was just, it had to come out. But she still had to keep her semblance of decorum. But I would argue that having a yearly a yearly lunch with your college sweetheart is kind of weird okay so that's what I also wanted to say I was gonna ask you how you felt about the whole thing and I I am 100% on Emily's side in this Mm -hmm. I think that if you were married to somebody for close to 40 years and after 40 years you found out that they were having a yearly lunch and he didn't tell you and she didn't tell her husband I would also 100% feel like I was lied to and betrayed. Yeah, because like if it was, if you wanted, or if you, how shall I say, if God forbid you decided to stay friends with your ex, um, if, if it wasn't for any ulterior motive, um, wouldn't you then be open about it and have your partners at least be in the know that you're friends and you go for a yearly lunch, whatever, they're just friends, haha. But now it's like you both, both of you kept your spouses in the dark because for what reason? What, you want to just go for yearly lunch and stare at each other and think of what could have been? Like Yeah, so I don't... Okay, so I... Even though I'm 100% Team Emily, mm-hmm. <laughs> I would also feel betrayed in this scenario, I kind of feel like you've both obviously moved on, right? You're happy in your marriages. Richard chose Emily. Like, he dumped Penelin for Emily, right? Yeah. Um, and Penelin's clearly moved on. She has her Steven and she has kids. You know what I mean? So I would argue by not telling your spouses, even though there's nothing going on, it's even more patronizing. Because yeah. Because you're, it's not, because I think deep down, Emily really knows there's nothing going on. Mm-hmm. But then why would you hide it from me kind of thing? So I don't think she's bothered by the lunch. No, it's the fact that, like, you're hiding you're hiding the fact that you've been in contact with her all this time. Yeah, so everyone, because I've seen online that people are like, oh, my God, she was like, Richard's been cheating on me and blah, blah, blah. I don't think that's what's going through Emily's mind. I think in yeah. Emily's mind, she's just so upset that her husband of 39 years, who she does everything for, who, like, two episodes ago, she was planning a party for, and then she had to go to Atlantic City and walk on a dirty boardwalk for <laughs> You know what I mean? I think, like, she's like, I would never keep something like this from you, even though it was innocent. Yeah. And I do everything for you. And you couldn't even just tell me that you were having lunch with Penel and Loft once a year for 39 years? Exactly. Like, are you kidding me? 
Like that, that's a that's a big secret to keep. You've had like thirty nine <laughs> lunches and you haven't. <laughs> that is fucking ridiculous. First of all, I couldn't even keep a secret for thirty nine minutes, let alone thirty nine. <laughs> <laughs> I would be bursting at the seams having to tell somebody you don't understand. <laughs> yeah, that's why every five minutes, just like, I have tea. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, yeah, I'd be like, oh, my God, what's the tea, girl? But I just, I, yeah. So for everyone saying that Emily was terrified about, like, I've seen posts that it's, like, a kind of cheating and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I don't think that's Emily's thought process at all. I think in Emily's mind, she just does not feel good that her husband couldn't trust her with this information. Yeah. That's really what the whole issue is, I think. Um and just the fact that like I don't maybe we don't really know the 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 history of um you know Emily Penelin Richard. Yeah, so, we've done snippets over the years. Yeah, and it's like most of it is left left up to the imagination. So maybe a small part of her is insecure because she, you know Richard loved her before she before he loved Emily, you know. So maybe a small part of her is a little insecure and in that there could be something else going on. But I think it's just mostly the fact that like you decided to stay friends with your ex girlfriend, like your ex college sweetheart, whatever, and didn't tell me for 39 years. It sounds like that's a bit of like, that's a bit of an issue. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think maybe there is a part of her that's very like, Oh shit he loved her first (laughs) but at the end of the day I think it's more the fact I think she's secure enough in her marriage at least at this point Mm -hmm. to know that Richard would never cheat on her but it's just the fact that he kept it from her yeah exactly anyways I don't know it's just it is it is fucking shitty on his part let's be honest so can we talk about how this football game is a whole lot of heterosexual nonsense (laughs) god I mean it's football that is heterosexual nonsense. Thank you. I, I just yeah. I just wanted confirmation of that. Yeah, no, it's football. It's a lot of guys slapping each other's butts, even though it's no homo. <laughs> it's very homo, sir. I want a ringtone of you saying no homo. <laughs> I'll make you one and send it to you. But um, yeah, I for me like so I grew up um, in a very oh my god. So I spend weekends with my dad. Mm-hmm. And that meant that we would wake up early on Sundays, or my brother and my dad did at least, because football on Sundays is a whole day affair, right? Oh, boy. And, um, like, football would start, like, at 11 a.m. And a football game is three hours, just FYI. <laughs> How long does football game last? An hour? Hour and a half? Oh, Longer than that? <laughs> yeah. Last, honestly, when you're in there, it lasts a whole fucking day. It feels yeah. like it lasts forever. And it's funny because my dad has never been a huge football person. He's always been a hockey fan above all. Yeah. And the reason why, the number one reason why he can't, he can't really stomach football is because he doesn't have the patience to sit for that long and okay. not have, you know. So the problem with football is that I think the the stat is they did like I read an article a couple of years ago that the stat is that if you take out all the commercial breaks and like pauses in the game when they're resetting the ball on first down and whatever, I think if you take away all that shit, the players are actually just playing for like 20 or 22 minutes. That's ridiculous. So why would you stretch that into a three hour long affair? Because they're heterosexuals and they can do what they want, apparently. Yeah. So I was forced to kind of grow up on football. So I listen, I don't it's not my favorite sport in the world, but I can watch a football game. And there are moments where it's exciting. I've always been a hockey girl all my life. And I just think it's a more fast paced sport. And also we grew up in Montreal. So we have to like hockey 
Um, I mean the straights, not the gays. Um, <laughs> because clearly Jeffrey does not like hockey. Um, I can give you a... We'll talk about my history with hockey when you're finished. Continue. <laughs> okay, no problem. But, um, yeah, I don't... So for, for Rory and Lorelai, it's clearly not the place to be. Um, but I understand that the game at this point is more about school spirit than actually the game. Because Emily doesn't fucking like football either, right? No. <laughs> like there with her fucking five-star chef in the trailer and barbecue. Can we talk about Benny, the barbecue guy? <laughs> I'd Please. fucking marry Benny. <laughs> I know you would. <laughs> For that barbecue, damn. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it, it is a bunch of heterosexual nonsense. I'll give you that. So I actually played hockey for one season, shall we say? Shit. Season, I guess, whatever, year, whatever you want to call it, session. Session? <laughs> you really so are gay. <laughs> I was in grade one. Um, that makes sense. It uh, was not my thing. Uh, I guess that's obvious going into it. I will share um, a picture of me, uh, like my official photo. Mm-hmm. For that one year. Yes, please. On our story in when this episode airs, um, because uh, all of my friends growing up thought it was the best thing ever. It just the um, like the amount to which I was not enjoying myself is just immediately immediately evident. Is it really? Now I really want to see this picture. Yeah. So it's uh, that's why my dad keeps it in the office because he just he just he just loves 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 everything that Abrat presents. <laughs> So, um, yeah, it was not my thing. Soccer wasn't my thing. Basketball wasn't my thing. You know. <laughs> um, I'm right there with you, by the way. I did, but um, I did grow up with a lot of cousins who who liked hockey and was often dragged to games where I would bring a book and yeah. everyone thought I was an alien because I would bring a book to a hockey game. Been there. But that was me, so. <laughs> yeah. I think I think for, for people who don't understand what hockey is like in Montreal, at least, um, it's almost people like look at you weird mm-hmm. if you tell them that you don't like hockey in Montreal. And also just in Canada in general. In Canada in general, but in Montreal because we have such a storied history with with hockey in general, um, uh, people just look at you like you're fucked if you don't like hockey. Mm-hmm. Um, and my response to that is like let people enjoy what they enjoy. I will say that my brother played hockey. So most kids, most boys at least growing up, um, the sport the extracurricular activity, the sport that people sign their kids up for in Montreal is usually hockey. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's usually an arena on every five blocks. You know what I mean? Um, so my, my brother was, it was very much the same for my brother. Oh, he started really? playing hockey. He started playing hockey late actually though. Um, late by Montreal standards is six years old. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. So I was, I was late too. Cause I was six, I was six turning seven. There you go. I think my brother's same six turning seven. And my brother started off as a defenseman and then he became a goalie. And, um, with becoming a goalie, there's a lot of extra, um, pressure, mm-hmm. especially at that level. Cause as soon as you let a goal in, people are like, Oh my God, this fucking goalie. Uh, and then also hockey's also, I think people don't realize a very expensive sport to play it is um especially when you're a goalie mm-hmm. so I remember when my brother first started getting interested in being a goalie my parents were all for it yeah absolutely they never told him no and then I remember going to his games and they were signing up girls for hockey oh. and my my dad was like oh do you want to play and I was like I actually do want to play <laughs> but then it was so expensive and I felt so bad because they were already spending all this money on my brother yeah 
that I was like, no, you know, I'm okay. My dad's like, are you sure we can do it? We can find the money. And I'm like, no, no, it's fine. Um, I don't regret that decision. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it would have been your thing. I don't think it would have been my thing either, but I, I was a much more eager child and willing to try back then. Huh. Um, but I also spent, I was like you, I also spent many, many a game, uh, a hockey game, and my brother, my brother's hockey games anyways, um, with either like a Sudoku book, a crossword puzzle, or an actual book. <laughs> um, or my mom would be like, just fucking bring your homework. We don't have time now. <laughs> <laughs> because I don't know if you know, like the higher you get in hockey, like the older you get, the higher you get, the later the games. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, like obviously when you're seven, the game is like at six, so you could be home by eight, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but when you're in CGIP or when you're in your last year of high school and you're 18, like the games could be start at 1030 and like, fuck it, you know? Mm-hmm. So as my brother progressed, um, I wouldn't go as much to the games. Right. Because uh, I had homework and I had my own shit to do. But trust me, I've been that kid in like the top of the arena just reading a book going, what the fuck, why don't people be quiet? <laughs> Literally, like, <laughs> oh, everyone's cheering, oh, something happened. Okay, I'm just going to look yeah. back at my book, my book, my book now. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever been to a Habs hockey game? I have, unfortunately. Have, okay. Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> so Habs, uh, Montreal Canadiens hockey game. Um, wh- how old were you? Um, my uncle bought tickets for me and my dad when I was 10, I think, uh, you know, his heart was in the right place, but it wasn't, wasn't my thing, but we went, um, I think the general consensus is even if you're not into sports, um, or don't follow it as closely, I think the atmosphere kind of gets to people. Yeah. So I've been to many a hockey game. Uh, first of all, I love going to hockey games, but it's very expensive in Montreal. Um, so I don't get to go that often, but I've been to many hockey games with people that aren't very into the sport and it's just the atmosphere gets them. The crowd gets them going. Like I've been to hockey games with my mother and my mother couldn't give a fuck about hockey. Mm -hmm. But as soon as we get to the bell center, she's like, Oh my God, it's hockey. (laughs) But yeah. So, um, I definitely understand the appeal of a group sport and getting swept up in the emotion of the crowd. Yeah. That's, that wasn't me. I know. (laughs) <laughs> I know it's okay <laughs> <laughs> I mean I I, ha- I mean I had that emotion you know the three times that I saw Demi Lovato at the Bell Center so well, that's- you know, as long as you find that emotion somewhere <laughs> I think it could be wh- wherever and whenever as long as you find that happiness yeah I mean yeah later I did later I did not not at that not at that point <laughs> that's all right as long as you found it um but I do I do immediately need to see this fucking picture of you yeah, it's a it's a as fan. A mini, as a mini hockey player. It's a fan. It's a fan favorite. It was. But I do. I will also add that it. The, I didn't. I didn't like playing hockey at all. It wasn't my thing. But I feel like I would have enjoyed other sports I tried if um, the other people had just been a little nicer and they weren't. Oh yeah, that's another thing with like when you're young. Yeah, and you know when you're not good at it and you're in sports with other boys, it's just you know. Not, yeah, a, not a very have, not a not a very positive environment. Not at all. And I have a similar story, by the way, because I used to figure skate. Oh, you? How did I not know this? Yeah. So I used to figure skate because um, since last time we talked about body issues, <laughs> I used to figure skate because my mom wanted me to do something mm-hmm. um, to like keep fit and be active and not be as chubby. So um, so I did three things when I was younger. I played soccer for three years. Uh-huh. Two or three years, I don't remember. Um, fucking hated that. Uh, 
running, not my thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I just don't like running because I also developed very early. Yeah. My boobies. <laughs> and, um, you know, when you're young and it's awkward and you're flopping around all over the place, it's not great. Um, so I played soccer. They signed me up for karate too. Fucking hated that. Oh boy. <laughs> hated that shit so hard. But I am a yellow belt, so watch out. Oh, good to know. <laughs> good to know, yeah. It basically means I can lift my foot. Um, <laughs> so there was that. And then I also figure skated for two years. And I actually enjoyed figure skating. I liked being out on the ice mm-hmm. and actually skating. But what I did not like was those little bitches <laughs> that were in the group with me mm-hmm. that would tease me about my weight. Okay, good to know that, you know, that, that culture exists with girls, too. Well, I think that culture mm, started with girls. Probably, yes. Um, because I had this little bitch in my fucking class who we went to school together, but she was a grade younger than me. Mm-hmm. And she was the English teacher's daughter, so I felt like I could never say anything. Of course. But she used to tease me mercilessly about my weight. Mm. The point where they used to give us a uniform, like it was a skirt with some stockings and whatever, and I never wanted to wear my uniform, so I would show up like in a sweater and sweatpants to skate, and I would always get in trouble, but it's because she teased me so much. Yeah. And I remember one day I showed up in one of my sweaters and um, sweatpants, whatever, and I, I really loved the sweater. It was like a pink sweater with like chunky yarn, and um, she goes, nice sweater. Did the, did the sewing machine blow up? Wow. I'm like, you little cunt. Well, um, yeah. That's definitely not just a boy thing, by the way. No, and there's a a nice place waiting in hell for her. (laughs) Really? And I saw her recently, actually. Oh. We won't discuss that, fucking bitch. (laughs) Well, Um, I can can quote uh, Jack McFarlane referring to childhood, referring to childhood bullies. Um, as they become bloated husbands with bad hair and bad marriages. Yay. I, <laughs> I hope that's what happened to her. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, okay, anyways, let's uh, move on. Do yes, we want back, to- back to Gilmore Girls, shall back we? To girls after our, uh, chronicling our terrible childhoods. <laughs> chronicling uh, our childhood sports trauma. Exactly, that's what we're going to refer to now. Um, okay, so do we want to talk about... What do we want to talk about first? Do we want to talk about Paris? Do we want to talk about Lorelai and Jason? Should we talk about Lorelai and Jason and talk about Paris after? Um, sure. Let's do that. Because I have thoughts on the Paris thing. Oh, I do too. I think we should. We will save that for, for the end. <laughs> I think, yeah, because I might ramble and I need I need some time. Um, okay, so Lorelai in the beginning of the episode tells Jason that she can't date him because he's from her hood, as she says. Okay. <laughs> yes, go on. Like, what is from her? That's just that's just Lorelai speak for, I like you and I'm scared of it. Basically, yeah. I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> it, it's Lorelai speak for, I do actually like you and I actually want to date you, but the fact that you come from my parents' quote-unquote world makes you repulsive to me. Also, I'm 30-something, and I act like I'm 12. Exactly. Translation. There you go. <laughs> yeah, it's just all-around bullshit to me. And she's, and the, the, the horrible part is that she asks Jason, can you, can you understand at all where I'm coming from? 
And he's like, no, you fucking idiot. <laughs> because yeah, we're that's friends what, and we should be able to do what we want to fucking do. <laughs> that's what you would say in that scenario. If someone asks you, can you understand? No, I can't. You yeah, cannot fucking understand, but do you, I guess. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's just such bullshit to me that you would let, you would let the fact that, what is, what is your from my parents world even mean? But it's not even that. I don't think it's that he's necessarily from her parents' world. I think it's that she. I, I think it's because she genuinely doesn't want to rock the boat with her parents at this in this scenario for I whatever. Don't it at all. Well, I think no. I, just, I mean, she throws it. Out, she throws that out the window later on after Emily freaks out on her. But I think in this. I think in the beginning of the episode, she's thinking like, you know what? I just. <laughs> she's she still hasn't forgiven me for whatever she spilled in ninth grade. And um, maybe I just want to keep the peace for a little bit. And then she's like, well, Emily, Emily's not keeping the peace, so screw her. Yeah, so I definitely think there's, oh, okay. So I can give her the benefit of the doubt in saying, like, she doesn't want, she knows her mom hates him mm-hmm. and doesn't want, I understand her not wanting to rock the boat, so to speak. Um, but in my head, I'm just like, when has that ever stopped you from living your life? Yeah. You didn't give a fuck that, like, you know, you wanted to, you know, there's so many things I can point to over the seasons that she didn't give a fuck about. Mm-hmm. And now it's, and they were smaller than this, let's be honest, right? Yeah. And now it's something, somebody that you really want to date and you're just going to let that, you're just going to let the fact that your mom doesn't like him go out the window. Like, I just don't get it. You've done, you've done worse for smaller things is what I'm trying to get at. <laughs> Yeah, I think honestly, it's just a bunch of deflection f- f- around the fact that oh, I actually I might actually like 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 him, and yeah. that scares me because I have the emotional I have the emotional uh, maturity of a sixteen year old. So ah, bye. Oh yeah, it's just frustrating to see her get in her own way sometimes. You know where when Mama Rue, since we were talking about her before, she's <laughs> in her saboteur. Yeah. <laughs> That's his favorite fucking thing to say. I'm going to hit him. Anyways, whatever. Um, if he goes an episode without saying inner saboteur, it's like he's going to fucking explode. But anyway. But that is, but you're right. That is lorelizing her. But that is her getting in her own way at this point, you know? You've never cared before about what your parents thought. Mm-hmm. You've made bigger decisions based on smaller things, and you, you've, you've told your parents to go fuck themselves, basically. Yeah. Now when you actually like a guy, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. <laughs> But whatever, it's what makes Lorelai Lorelai. Um, let's talk about the scene at the restaurant, shall we? Oh, that whole this the whole date is just so exhausting. Okay, so I kind of like where they ended up. That was a sweet place to end up. Mm-hmm. And I do have to say, Lorelai looks fucking hot in that dress. <laughs> Imagine like dressing up like that and ending up in the grocery store. I don't give a fuck. She's a hottie with a body. But um, <laughs> um, so that whole scene at the restaurant was fucking cringe. Like, it's, the whole thing was just very junior high, I'd have to... It was, wasn't it? Like, in terms of... I don't... I mean, it's okay, it's one thing to say I don't really feel comfortable sitting in a this empty room, but, it's, but, like, at the same time, he went through a lot of trouble to get the room, and then you act like a child in the car, and then you end up at the grocery store. It's just like, you know, Lorelai being Lorelai again. Basically, um, my, the thing that struck me the most is, like, we've always said that Lorelai's very not flexible. She even says it herself. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just so obvious in this episode. Like, 
you've been wanting he's been wanting to go to the restaurant for so long apparently it's the hip new place the food is supposed to be amazing she even says so and it's like can you not spend one hour an hour and a half with him in a room talking getting to know each other again you know eating good food why do you have to be outside yeah like that i think also is her innocent inner saboteur saying um Oh well, I um, you know I'm I'm not I'm not ready to be alone in a room with you just yet. I have to be with other around other people with you first. It almost seemed like she was looking for a way out to me. For sure. Um. So I don't know. I think she was being very ridiculous about that whole thing. And then in the car too is like, well, I'm not gonna eat if you're not gonna eat. And he Jason even says, "Were we in junior high?" Like, yeah, I think you are in junior high. Oh, my God. But also, like, he wanted to eat. He brought you to a fancy restaurant to eat, and you didn't want to eat there. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah. He also, she also, like, just, like, didn't check with him first. Like, oh, do you like, like, before saying, turn here, turn here, it's just like, All right, do you like Mexican food? Or yeah. do you like, like, you just blindly assume he's going to want to eat at Taco Barn. Like, do you want to eat at Taco Barn? It has the best tacos on the East Coast. Well, okay. That doesn't mean I want to eat. Hard to believe, also, by the way. Doesn't mean I want to eat there. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Yeah, the whole thing was just a little awkward. I do like where they ended up. They ended up in a good place, I think, and ultimately it sets up um, their future very nicely because I think you you get the sense at the end of the date that even though she went out of spite, Mm -hmm. which is a great way to accept a date, by the way. (laughs) Um, Great reason to date somebody. (laughs) But even though she accepted just to spite her mother. I think she starts to realize that she made the right decision because she's actually genuinely having a good time with this guy. Um, so I think it sets up the future episodes nicely. We get also, a little bit more invested. Yeah, I agree. But I also have to say, like, the audacity <laughs> Lorelai has criticizing him for doing an errand in the grocery store. It's like, um, you've dragged me to three different places now. <laughs> Seriously, fuck. They're right there. Let me grab the fucking racers. And then she's like, oh, I need toothpaste. Like, oh, my God. Um, interestingly enough, this is the episode that Mike uh, Mike DeCenzo said he first saw of Gilmore mm-hmm. Girls. Yeah. And that he really liked the whole grocery store scene. Mm-hmm. And he thought everything was very witty in it. And mm-hmm. I do kind of agree. I think it's the first time, and I've said this before, I think it's the first time that we see somebody who's really on her level in terms of the quick wit yeah. And, um, you know, the banter going back and forth. For so sure. I remember first watching this and being, being very invested into where it was going. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll say it again. Jason, kind of like him. Yeah, even though it turned sour later, like, in terms of... Yeah, but of, no fault of his own, let's be honest. You no, know, in terms of, like, all Lorelai's minor boyfriends outside of Luke and he, he who shall not be named... Um, this he's probably one of the better ones. It's not in, like I don't understand people like Max. Like that's all. That's all. That we discussed Fine. in previous so seasons. So, this is boring. So blah blah blah. <laughs> so I need that as a ringtone too. So yeah. blah blah blah. Just so blah blah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all right. So last scene of the episode is Paris. Um, making out with a man in his 60s and also a professor. <laughs> I think, I, honestly, going back to what you said about, how, like, how Mike said this was the first episode he ever saw, like, what like what an episode to, to, to pick. <laughs> yeah, what an episode to initiate you to this fucking show. 
Like it's a very like it's it's probably one of the better episodes of season four. So oh, absolutely, it's so well rounded in terms of all the characters. So you get everyone from the town being kooky, mm-hmm. and you also get really good dynamic within the Gilmores to show you what their relationship is actually like, right? Yeah. So um, if he's listening, kudos to Mike for um, for stumbling upon this episode as his first watch. <laughs> so kudos to you for for picking this or stumbling upon this as your first intro into Gilmore Girls. Yeah. But we have, before we discuss uh, them kissing, we have to go back to their first meeting scene. Yeah. Um, which is, uh, I love how, I just, I love Paris in all, all the time, but especially in season four, because the old Paris wouldn't have done this apparently, but here she is, old Paris, new Paris is molded into one. So what makes you think that old Paris wouldn't have done this? I think I think old Paris comes. No, I'm just interested, genuinely. So I think old Paris comes out when they're at the game. She's like, "This is too boring. I can't deal with it. Take a picture of me happy and sad, in case depending on what the outcome is." Yeah, that so, was fucking hilarious. That's one that, of the better moments of this entire season for me. We like, won. We, we lost. We're done. That <laughs> reminds me of in season one when she's like, "My watch off. What time is it?" Bye. Yeah, we have to get the fuck out of the party. <laughs> Um, so, like, I like how a new, mature, kind of a new, mature, trying to be a new, mature version of Paris emerges, but it's, like, molded together with the, just the classic Paris we know and love. Um, and I think in this instance, she kind of, um, builds up the courage in, to talk to Asher Fleming when he approaches, uh, her, Rory, and her grandfather at lunch. Do you think he's just building up the courage, though? Because for me, Paris has always been ballsy like that. Yeah, so she was, so she definitely, well, she definitely would have, like, had the balls to talk to him regardless of what, like, of when it would have happened. But I, <laughs> I do like how she openly, she openly criticizes Charlie Rose, uh, a reference that didn't age well, by the way. But she openly nope. criticizes Charlie, she openly criticizes Charlie Rose in front of, Ash Fleming, who is apparently a dear friend of Charlie Rose, she's like, whatever, going on. Like, that yeah. to me is a bit of new Paris, old Paris mixed together. I don't know. Yeah. Um, the reason I think that it's important to talk about the dynamic between the two before we actually see them making out mm-hmm. is because it's important to understand that Paris is very much starstruck. Yes. Even though she shows... Even though she's very like, yeah, whatever, you were on Charlie Rose, love to get an interview with you. Like, you can still tell she's starstruck when after she yells, I'm a fan. You I was going to say, I'm a fan. <laughs> so I think it's very important to, as the season progresses and as their relationship progresses, mm-hmm. I think it's very important to hold on to their first meeting. Yes. And understand the power dynamic between the two. Because, um, it, like, we don't get a lot, we, we don't get a lot of, like on-screen action between um, Asher and Paris. Like, not as much as I would have wanted in general. Yeah. Um, like, I find more... I find mostly action takes place after he dies, honestly. But... Um, um, but leading up to it, it's, it's... It's just... It's interesting to ponder the ways in which uh, Paris would be attracted to a man in his 60s. I think that's a loaded topic we're going to save for next week. We should save it for next week, but what I will say about it is I remember watching it the first time Mm 
mm-hmm. and still being pretty young at this point and um, losing a little bit of respect for Paris. Oh, really? As I think Rory does as the season progresses. Would you agree? Yes, especially in, I'm thinking of the scene. I'm not sure if it's, I think it's the next episode. Where she's like, he is old. He's 60. Like, yeah. Um, but I just, I want to kind of like how we were talking at the beginning of the episode, how we kind of, I kind of bought into this whole Jessica Simpson thing. I think it's important to see how the narrative has changed around this. Mm-hmm. Um, and to understand that, you know, shaming women for something like this. Um, yes. Is, it's, anyways, just something, we're not going to talk about it this episode exactly, but it's going to come up in subsequent episodes. It's just, it's, it's not, um, I don't know how to put this. Like, I remember being, like, losing respect for Paris a little bit. Like, how could she date a professor? She's so smart, like, blah, blah, blah. And, and completely, I don't know if my mom, I don't know if I was too young to process or, you know, or if it was just because we've seen her for three seasons now and she's the actual character that we should be invested in. But I remember completely blocking him out of my mind. Hmm, interesting. Almost as if, like, it didn't have anything to do with it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And when in reality it's not the case, um, he's as much, if not more, to blame than her. Yeah. So... But I do think the only reason I bring it up is because I do think as the season progresses and as we start talking about this relationship more and more, I think it's important to hold on to the fact that she was very much a fan and there's very much a power dynamic here. Yeah, that is an important distinction to make because it, um, especially in, it's weird how Charlie Rose was part, was part of their introduction and Charlie Rose was a key player in the early Me Too movement. Absolutely. Um, it's just interesting when you think of it, and when you think of it like under that lens and in that context, it's like, was Paris like was Paris manipulated? Was Paris, you know, what's the word like, um, swayed or you know, like in that yeah. way was she coaxed into being in a rom- being in a romantic relationship with him? I think obviously she was fond of him, but was it like that's what I'm saying? We didn't get a lot of too much on screen action between them to get the inside scoop on that power dynamic but I do agree with what you said yeah so it's just something to keep in mind as we go forward in the season and we talk about Paris and her character development because I think as much as we talk about Rory Rory's character developing a lot in the season it's also a really big season for Paris as well um, so just that to keep in mind <laughs> are we gonna are we gonna have to also gonna have to get into um her apparent lesbian feelings towards Rory later in the season. Let's talk about that and how a lot of people are not Team Jess or Team Logan or Team Dean. They're Team Paris, and um, I also have thoughts about that. <laughs> I mean, I'm Team Paris, but for a whole, whole different reason. I know you're there for a whole different reason, but anyways, um, yeah, we'll we'll definitely get to that too. Um, um, but it's definitely a more loosey goosey Paris this season. <laughs> yes, it is. Anything else to talk about? Um, I think that's it. There was one quote that I wrote down that I didn't mention um, that came from Kirk, of all people, uh, when Luke notices everybody standing in line at the bakery instead of um, coming to his diner for food because because Brennan has um, alienated everyone from the business, apparently. 
Uh, uh, Kirk says Brennan, Satan, whatever. (laughs) Referring to uh, Brennan as Satan. It sounds about right to me. Yeah, especially since he gave him a a napkin from his butt. A butt napkin. What are butt napkins? Kirk Kirk needed a napkin and he just pulled it out of his back pocket. That is kind of gross, let's be honest. <laughs> Especially it wasn't even a clean napkin. If you, have like a, if you have like a stack of clean napkins hanging out of your back pocket, that's a different story. It was like a used napkin. Do you remember Kirk saying, can I have a napkin to put my napkin on? <laughs> I, mean, I wouldn't have touched that napkin, Kirk. Oh my God, that's nasty. Jeffrey, where can they find us? Um, They can follow us on the socials. Mm-hmm. Um, Instagram at Gilmore Girls Podcast, tweeters at Gilmore Podcast, and should you feel the need to email us, you can do so, gilmorepodcast at gmail.com. And we will see you all next week. Bye.